Welcome to the penultimate chapter. You've been waiting to say that. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Chronically Colon Narnia, a podcast where we are sequentially reading through uh, the Chronicles of Narnia book series in entirely the wrong order. We're doing it chapter by chapter and analyzing them and discussing and making dumb jokes about C.S. Lewis, all for your uh, listening pleasure. I am Lord Barr, also known as Chris, and I'm here with my co-host. An old wise centaur in Narnia who blesses children or something. (laughs) Also known as. Also known as Kristen. (laughs) Uh, Hi, Kristen. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for that kind welcome. I'm going to have to run away right now because I left my notes in my purse. Okay. <clears throat> Paper rattling noises. Found my notes. Welcome back. Uh, so we're recording this podcast on a special day in the year. It's your it is my birthday today. and I All had, of our descriptions that say we're two 30-somethings are finally true. They're finally accurate. I'm finally 30 years old. Uh, I'm sorry, listeners, who thought I was older or younger, you know, or, you know, single. I'm none of those, any of those things. <laughs> you are neither older nor <laughs> younger. You are exactly what you are. Yep. can say that about everyone, I guess. Um, anyway. Anyway, so we got to celebrate the last few days, uh... I had to work today, and we have to record. Not that I don't enjoy this. It's just like, feels like a normal Thursday. It does. Um, it is. Yeah, but welcome to the penultimate chapter. You're, of, you've been waiting to say that. Uh, well, next episode, I'm going to say the ultimate chapter. The uh, ultimate chapter. Of The Horse and His Boy. We are almost, almost done with this stupid book. Um, <laughs> Tell us more about your feelings, Chris. Uh, I've grown more distant from the book as we've been reading it. Um, I started out really liking it. It's gone, uh, gone away from there. This is a this is a really interesting chapter, and we got a lot to talk about. So, why don't we go ahead and start with our summaries? This is the first segment we do, where we pick out five sentences from the chapter. We read them through just to get some talking points. Uh, Kristen, you have your summary ready. Would you like I to go have first? My summary ready. I will gladly go first. Um, let's go for it. Aslan said, "Bree in a shaken voice." I'm afraid I must be rather a fool. His Royal Highness, Prince Kor of Arkenland, desires an audience of the Lady Erebus, said the herald. It's Shasta. Well, as soon as he saw Corin and me, it seems the centaur looked at me and said, A day will come when that boy will save Arkenland from the deadliest danger in which ever she lay. Arkenland can never be in much greater danger than it was when Rabidash had crossed the arrow with his 200 horse and you hadn't yet gotten through with your message. Okay. I feel like you leave us on a cliffhanger there. Um, or I, we... could, I could use my last <laughs> sentence as, Father wants you to come live with us. <laughs> so if you use that, we'd actually hit a record of three sentences that we chose in common. Oh, it was yours, Father um, wants, us, wants yeah. you to come live with us? Is this was a hard, one? and that's surprising because this is a hard chapter to summarize just because well, there's, there's so much so stuff that happens. Much, yeah. Uh, well, so. and I did, expected us to pick multiple sentences in common because 
the way to hit those specific plot points is not exactly abundant. Yeah. Uh, so here's mine, just to start out with. We must see Shasta first and say goodbye to him and and apologize, said Erebus. I wrote that sentence down too <laughs> to be my to be my first sentence uh-huh. and then changed my mind. Aslan, said Bree in a shaken voice, I'm afraid I must be rather a fool. His Royal Highness Prince Cor of Arkenland desires an audience to the Lady Erebus, said the Herald. Apparently King Loon is my father, said Shasta. Father wants you to come and live with us. So that was my So we picked four of the same sentences in order to <laughs> Man, we're just in sync today, aren't we? Um, so let's get into this because I know there's a lot of things that we're going to want to touch on here, and we do have some pies in the oven, so we got to, you know, power through this to get gotta, to that sweet, sweet pie. Got to get that pie. Uh, that savory, savory pie since we're doing meat pies. Um, <laughs> welcome to a window to, you know, inside of our lives, listeners. <laughs> you should cut that out. That was a terrible sentence. Um, I will. Anyway, I'll put it in the end. So we must now return to Erebus and the horses, Kristen. Uh, we go back and we... Oh, I thought you were just going to read the chapter. Sorry. <laughs> no, we don't have time for that. But we go back to uh, Hwen, Bree, and Erebus. Yes, And they're we hanging do. out with the hermit. And... No, the hermit's inside. Okay. Well, <laughs> and what happens with them while Shasta's off being heroic and fighting in battles and like being named a prince and finding his true father. And they're just kind of hanging out watching a pool. Um, but And getting <laughs> fat. And getting fat. At which, least, uh, at least, Twin is getting fat. He's, she's getting fat as a pet pony, eating all day and getting no exercise. They've been there for two days. I mean, like, I know, right? Like, how much can, weight can you gain in two or three days of not like, yeah? yeah. I think that's an exaggeration. Um, but then we have Bree being a sad sack. Um, Bree really does not want to go to Narnia at this point. Yeah, he's. <sighs> I mean, and. So the title of this chapter, as Chris, I don't remember if you said or not, is How Bree Became a Wiser Horse. This is chapter 14. And I have so many issues with this title because because we have... (laughs) No, we have reversed any potential character development for Bree in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, oh, yay, this is where Bree gets to become a wiser horse. This is where Bree gets to be excited to go to Narnia and just be. Or mm-hmm. something like that. Where he's he's been like, we're going to Narnia. I'm a little snooty and I'm a little afraid that I'm going to, you know, not get to do the things that I, like, that I'm going to do stuff wrong and oh no, like this boy has outshone me and I'm not as strong or as brave as I thought I was and I'm not worthy to go to Narnia and I shouldn't go to Narnia and I shouldn't be there. And then now they're like, all right, we're ready to go to Narnia. And Bree is just like, oh, let's not rush things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Quinn is like, are you seriously not wanting to go until your tail grows back? Uh-huh. You don't know how they keep tails in Narnia. Uh-huh. And it's just again, Bree is still being, still being vain and still being frustrating. And the last sentence of this chapter, he is ready to go to Narnia as if he's going to a funeral. Uh-huh. So this is not a chapter about Bree becoming a wiser horse at all. Correct. 
So I'm frustrated with the title because it is completely misrepresenting what happens in this chapter. We see Brie here at the beginning for a second. We see Brie at the end for a second. And the rest of this chapter is just a lot of other content of Erebus and Shasta catching up. Yes. So what, what, why? What is going on? Yeah, uh, but not before Brie gets humbled okay, uh, yeah. quite Again. significantly. Again. Uh, so they have this conversation between Erebus and Brie, and Erebus is just like, so you keep swearing by the lion and all this stuff. So, like, this god in Narnia, like, is he actually a lion? And Brie's like, you're stupid. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're a silly child if you think this would actually be a lion. If and, of course, a, he's not. If he was a lion, he would have a tail and whiskers. Uh-huh. Uh, and is no beast. So I, I am really curious as to what Brie thinks Aslan is or looks like. I mean, so, for a horse that grew up in ta- in Kallerman, uh-huh. where in Kallerman they always swear by Tash, uh-huh. and Tash is the bolt of lightning that falls from above and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Like, Tash is this kind of what we would almost consider a typical concept of a god almost like an elemental god from that's the only real reference we have to him is this idea of the 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 lightning or the thunder that comes from above or whatever it was that mm-hmm. Rabidash swore by when he jumped and got himself all strung up uh-huh and so I would say that it's absolutely fair for Bree to not know that Aslan's a beast it's not in any way fair for Bree to judge someone else for not knowing anything about Aslan because he doesn't know. Correct. Um, and then Aslan has a great sense of comedic timing here. And shows I'm sure up. he does it on purpose. Yeah, Aslan's just like, <laughs> I heard somebody's talking crap. I gotta go. Uh... Someone <laughs> thinks that it would be weird if I had whiskers. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should go show him my whiskers. Uh-huh. And while Bree's going on this monologue, being like, no, it's silly that Aslan's a lion and whatnot, like, the other two are looking past him, and they see this gigantic lion, who, I guess is Aslan, um, comes up, come, vaults over this wall. You know Aslan's Jesus, right? What? Um, <laughs> we gotta stop using that joke. Your face, though, that um, you actually <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, method acting. <laughs> anyway... Uh, Aslan comes up and vaults over this wall and sneaks up behind Bree, apparently very quiet when he wants to be. And I mean, like, most cats and cat-like creatures can be very, very quiet. Like, mm-hmm. that's... They prowl. Yeah. But that's like, how they hunt. Yeah. They're sneaky. Yeah. Um, comes up behind Bree, brushes him with his whiskers. Bree gets, like, completely terrified. <laughs> yeah. Help! It's a good, good Bree impression. <laughs> He sprints off across the uh, the the yard there, or whatever it is, courtyard, the, the hermit's enclosure, uh, and turns around and is just like, well, darn, aren't I just wrong? Yep. But we have Quinn approach Aslan mm-hmm. and say that he is the most beautiful lion and she would gladly be eaten by him. Before she would be eaten by anything else. Like, I feel like there's so much we can read out of all the interactions with Aslan in these books. And this is a really interesting one, too. Where the the first encounter he has with this group is Bree coming up and just being like, eat me. Um, Not Bree. Not Bree. Quinn. Quinn. Yeah. Quinn coming up and being like, 
oh, I'd rather be eaten by you than anyone else, which is a weird thing to say. Um. <laughs> I mean, that I think is meant to like symbolize or echo this kind of fear and throwing oneself down in fear for your life before the holy. Yeah. Or something of that nature. Which is just like akin to like, you know, some really attractive guy with a gun walks up to you and you're just like, I'd rather be shot by you than anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a little weird. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that the, the meaning behind it has more to do with like you like recognizing the holy and the divine uh-huh. in in a way that's like there is no life outside of that divinity and that holiness and that beauty that i see in front of me right now in the body of aslan mm-hmm. and yeah it's weird yeah very weird yeah but anyway mm. and i mean if you want to really like dive down and get into you know stuff that lewis probably didn't intend it's a, it's kind of an interesting theological reversal where, you know, Jesus, especially in the Catholic Church, is looked at, uh, you know, as very much this living sacrifice. And, like, that's the whole idea behind the communion is that you're eating of his flesh in a sometimes very literal way, according to the Catholics. But, like, he's like, you know, drink of my blood, take of my flesh, uh, you know, being such a sacrificial symbol that you're literally consuming him to have life. Yeah. And turning it on its head here with Aslan, who was a predator, and, you know, you're getting approached by a prey animal saying, I'd have you take me. Yeah. So, it's a... I don't know. We it's also... It's an interesting turn of... I, I don't know. I think <clears throat> you might be going straight into, like, the Catholic, the Catholic imagery, but we also have this whole scene meant to be echoing this resurrection scene as portrayed in the um, gospels of Jesus coming in and saying now like and Aslan says now Bree he said you poor proud frightened horse draw near nearer <laughs> still my son do not dare not to dare mm-hmm. touch me smell me here are my paws here is my tail these are my whiskers I am a true beast. Yeah, and it's very much an echo of the scene of, like, the resurrected Jesus approaching Thomas and being, like, Put your hand here on my hands, put your, yeah, Mm -hmm. put your fingers in the holes in my hands and feel the hole in my side. Yeah. Which is kind of the first thing that I thought of when I read that, Mm -hmm. but also that punctuation at the end of, I am a true beast. Mm -hmm. Capital B. Yep. So, I don't know. It just, like, it's also a very interesting turn of this kind of whole scene where we've got this, like, almost like Aslan's toying with Bree where he jumps down and is just like, oh, like, I'm going to come up and prove that I'm a real beast and you really are a fool, Bree. Like, Mm -hmm. and then to have Aslan say this very reflective, very allegorical, analogous whatever the word I'm looking for, direct reference to the, the the kind of way that Jesus introduced himself to Thomas mm-hmm. in the Gospels. Yeah. In the Gospel story. So, I don't know. So Bree gets proven wrong, uh, finds himself a fool. 
And then we address Erebus, and to me, this is the most interesting part of... Because um, <laughs> it answers my why! Yeah, we we talk about why. Oh, first of all, you know, Aslan's just like, yeah, I'm the lion that cut you the first time. That's I'm, me. I'm the only island. I'm, I'm the only island. Yep. I'm <sighs> the only lion that you have encountered. You know, kind of once again, same thing that he said to Shasta. Yeah. Uh, and then Aslan explains that he is the one that scratched her, uh, and why, which we're going to take a, like a hard turn away from the Christian, uh, allegory here because Aslan's whole thing is, uh, I'll just read the sentence out. The scratches on your back, tear for tear, throb for throb, blood for blood were equal to the stripes laid on the back of your stepmother's slave because of the drugged sleep you cast upon her. Yes. So this is very much like an atonement thing where like you are getting exactly the same wounds that you inflicted on someone else. This is your punishment, um, which is a, a very, very non-Jesus uh, philosophy. I wrote down a few <sighs> things here. Yeah, go for it. Um <clears throat> Because, like, we can get to the, the Christianity of that mm-hmm. that scene later. Mm-hmm. I wrote down punishment, redemption. All of these have question marks after them. Mm-hmm. Punishment, redemption, education, mm-hmm. grace, deserving of punishment, necessity of pain and education. Or is this to teach Erebus what kind of pain she inflicted. Like, is this to teach Erebus pain that she's never felt before because she lived as a Tarkina? Mm-hmm. Is this teaching Erebus how to have empathy? Yeah. I mean, because you can't, you can't have empathy to a certain extent without having felt some amount of the pain you're empathizing with. Uh, yes. Um, so, I mean, this kind of diverts a lot from our analysis where or you know our speculation rather that this is like you know penance to enter into the land of narnia and this is you know uh kind of a a calvinist interpretation of the rules of who gets to be elected and who gets to be saved quote unquote by going into the free north if we interpret this as like a redemptive act or like an infliction upon her of the pain she's dealt to others then Mm. like we could still interpret it that way like you have to bear in your own self all that all of the harm that you've done as a form of redemptive or or like i don't know some kind of process of transformation yeah like you could still take it that way into your calvinist heaven theory but like (laughs) outside of that if we're just looking at like this as an action like you could also say that this is aslan saying if you're not going to have empathy you can't come to narnia Mm -hmm. because if you don't have empathy like i will force you to learn empathy or you can't come into narnia because you can't be you can't be able to live among beasts yes. that talk yeah. and have respect for them and if you don't have empathy. Yeah. But the my main point here is that as an object, regardless of the theology, which we can talk about all day, as an object or not. as I know. As an object lesson, this is dumb. Because Aslan had to come in and spell it out. Yeah. Just just doing the action itself and you know swiping across her back, she didn't get it. She wouldn't have gotten that. Like she didn't know what happened to the maid she drugged. So like this wouldn't have sank unless he specifically comes and explains it to her, which makes it a bad 
uh, object lesson, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I, I <laughs> absolutely. If you have to explain a lesson, then it's not a lesson. Like, yeah, especially when it's a physical pain. Yeah. But, yeah, like if, if a kid jumps off of a high object and hurts themselves, they know that they got hurt as a result of the action that happened. Yeah. Like, this is how you learn consequences. Yes. But this isn't, a, like, this isn't a direct consequence mm-hmm. of Erebus's action. Yeah. This is Aslan teaching her how to like like think about the pain that she is delivering to other people yeah think about the effect she's having on other people and you probably can't communicate that effectively without spelling that out like unless unless she was taken back to her stepmother and whipped by her stepmother she she's not gonna just figure that one out. If we do a, a ghost of Christmas past situation. Yeah. Or have Aslan <laughs> just spirit her away mm-hmm. back to her stepmother's house. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, that was a really interesting interaction. And I'm not sure if after having learned this, Erevis changes at all. Because I feel like we do have a lot of growth from her as a character in this book. And that's demonstrated in the chapter. But a lot of this growth is demonstrated before this ever happens. Yeah. Like, she is becoming a better person. Like, well, she's... it's after it happens, but it's after... Like, the, the biggest growth that we see in Erebus is when they're talking at the Hermits while she is recovering from that injury. After she had seen Shasta run back mm-hmm. to kind of try to frighten off the lion after it attacked her. Mm-hmm. So, to a certain extent... The fact that she got injured by this lion is the whole reason that Shasta jumped off the horse and ran back and proved himself to be the best of them, as they said. And that's like that was the instigating factor in mm-hmm. Erebus's primary um, display of change. Yeah. That we saw in that chapter. Yeah. Oh, so maybe something did sink in, like his claws, <laughs> uh, before he had to come and explain this whole thing. Uh, yeah, I feel like we we don't need to spend any more time on this, but it is an interesting thing to discuss, and we'll probably bring this up again, possibly in our, I'm for sure, our Steve wrap-up episode. Yeah. Um, because I think this is a thing he's going to want to talk about. Oh, yeah. So we'll we'll put a bookmark on that and, and come back to it later. You know, very literal bookmark. <laughs> it's her books. Um, <laughs> I've... I've already worked today. You know, this is why we always record before I go into work. All right. Um, and so after this whole encounter happens, nobody wants to talk to each other. I'm just like, all right, I'm going to go off to my own corner and mell around and be by myself and think for a while. Yeah, no, Brie, Huynh, and Erebus all didn't feel... Like, also, like, Aslan just goes. Mm-hmm. He's, he's like, all right, peace, done. Brie, you think about that. Huynh, you're you're doing great. Mm-hmm. Erebus, be be better. Yeah. Jumps up the wall, is like, hey, you're going to have another visitor. I'll see you all again soon. Yeah. And then we have the triumphant entry of a new character in the we book. We do. A whole new character. We have the heralds. There's a, basically, the hermit comes and calls the horses over to feed them again. Mm-hmm. And Erebus is left alone to answer the door. 
So there is essentially a knock at the door, mm-hmm. and she's like, who's there? And they're like, Prince Kor of Arkenland. Mm-hmm. And so she opens the door, and two strangers walk in. And it says in the book, two strangers. Mm-hmm. Like, it is... And so one of them is a herald who basically says Prince Kor of Arkenland requests an audience of Lady Erebus. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, a prince walks in, and when Erebus looks at him, she sees he's just a boy. He's a mere boy. And it's Shasta. Whoa. 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 He's I didn't expect that. Wearing a completely... Uh, I mean, not not before Erebus curtsied in the Calarmine tradition, which is... Uh, Very different not, from ours. Not at all like ours. How, how <laughs> do you curtsy in a... Di- like, I can only mentally think of one way to curtsy, like... What is another way to curtsy? It's entirely in the arms. She doesn't move the legs at all. Um. (laughs) I don't understand. Like, Uh, yeah, and we realize, oh crap, it's Shasta, and you know we have the introduction of his new title and everything after the fact, where we don't ever we we don't ever hear it. We don't ever hear this conversation that uh, Shasta has with King Loon. And we don't see any of this happen. We just see the aftermath, which well, is yep. like Shasta's is actually court. He's a prince. He's King Loon's son. He's Corin's twin brother. Yep. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's dressed in like new fancy clothes, which he doesn't like. He's trying to talk all noble, you know, after being have, having been royalty for like eight hours now. Yep. <laughs> he also says he wished he had his old clothes. Uh-huh. Which, I mean don't know why they've got to be like full of sand and like torn apart and smell and like it's i'd be happy for new clothes i don't know i'm not in corin's position corin's position sorry don't want to call him corin corin's his brother your favorite character uh yes and yet we established that what we talked about last chapter with the naming tradition also has a bandaged hand Uh uh-huh don't forget that that's important yeah because he you know tried to tried to use a sword uh and failed at it uh and then we do officially establish what we talked about in the last chapter with the naming tradition um of siblings in uh arkenland with darren darren and colin colin and so on and so forth so that's actually a thing um and then they have a conversation and shasta talks to erevis and it's just like or core sorry she keeps calling him shasta as well she's got to correct herself a few times shasta i mean core which is a better name she no, says shut it's up a, <laughs> it's a better name um yeah and we talk about the battle and like how you know he got to be where he is and this conversation he had with king loon and then they sit down and of course just like gonna tell you a story apparently this is what happened and then we learn the backstory of the book we do Uh and confirm a bunch of things that we've already talked about but we also have an introduction of this um very shasta is jesus story um Mm -hmm. or he's at least moses or something i was gonna (laughs) say like moses not moses i mean what's the um was it ramsey's like there is one of the uh Moses' brother? No. There is a story of the Egyptian pharaohs where they were tossed out to into the river and like one gets I don't know. Oh, like non not a biblical story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was still going in the Bible thing cuz we kept being theological. Yeah. I don't know. There's a story like this with one of the pharaohs as well. Is he a um, twin? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. You'd have to look that up. You should look that up uh-huh. while I talk about 
um, centaurs. Okay. So, <laughs> tell me about centaurs. Well, Kristen. in this we have a repetition of a uh, father's an absolute brick. One of my one of my favorite expressions of confusion mm-hmm. um, from the magician's nephew. But uh, as Kor or Shasta is telling the story, he says, Kor and I are twins, and about a a week after we were both born, apparently they took us to my character, a wise old centaur in Narnia, to be blessed or something. So this centaur is a prophet, apparently, and apparently a lot of centaurs are prophets. And I think that this is an interesting way of describing, because in a lot of mythology, centaurs tend to like know some of the future or read the stars or have these kind of um, very uh, almost astrological like associations. And then we specifically in this book have this um, centaur or centaurs in general described as being prophets. And mm-hmm. this uh, centaur essentially prophesies over Cor- over Cor, mm-hmm. saying... The day will come when that boy will save Arkenland from the deadliest danger in whichever she lay. So, saving all of Arkenland, which apparently uh, saving Anvard is saving all of Arkenland, which I mean is fair since the king's there and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we then have this, you know, okay, so we've got this idea of the centaur, this kind of great prophetic word over core, and then we have. Some uh, Lord Chancellor, Lord Bar. Mm-hmm. Now, was his brother Baron? Baron. Baron. Maybe. maybe. I don't was know. he there Baron. in the battle? I don't believe so. No. Okay. Um, I feel like there was a there was a Darren. That's the one I'm thinking of. Darren. All mm-hmm. right. Um, but apparently he'd done something wrong. Bezzling. He was, was bezzling. <laughs> <laughs> Every day I'm bezzling. Yep. So we have all of this kind of work up to this kind of idea of a prophecy over core that he's going to save everybody. And this Lord Barr is just like, no, I'm going to kidnap him away. Mm-hmm. And kidnaps him away. Yeah. Therefore making the prophecy capable of being fulfilled at all. Yep. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, but yeah, yep. it's, a really, it's a really convoluted scheme, I guess. Uh, where, like, you know, I don't know. It's 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 a complicated way to get to where Korra is now. Yeah, uh, I mean, and like... to fulfill this prophecy, and it's just like, it's not about being born in the right place or the right time, or, you know, you are born under this moon and you're gonna save the world. It's... No, stuff's gonna happen, and, like, a guy has to commit some crimes first, and he has to, like, get backed into a corner and find a way out, and the only way he can think of to do that is, like, to kidnap you, and, oh, but wait, there's gonna be a pitched sea battle, which uh, which relies on, like, a ship not getting sank, and, like, <laughs> oh, no, the Lord's head dude is gonna secret the baby off when he knows the ship is going down, and that guy is gonna starve himself so that you can live, but you're still not gonna make it to shore, and Aslan has to show up and push you to shore so that the fishermen can take you in and raise you, and then and you have to you and beat you and, and abuse you so that you want to run away, and then <laughs> it's a lot of things have to go exactly right. And, and Aslan right. has to come in and run you into Erebus so that yeah. you can get the information at all that Rabidash is going to attack. Yeah, uh, it's very much like you know if you're. Have you ever seen a really young kid, like, trying to set up, you know, uh, a string of dominoes to fall, and they do it <laughs> wrong, 
And, like, there's, like, oh, okay, I came up with this really cool domino thing, and it's going to go up here to the table and over and everything, and they did it, like, and terribly, and they have to, like, restart the chain, like, five times. This is this is the life of Shasta. So, it, like, Aslan <laughs> showing up continuously yeah. is, like, the little kid running over to knock over the, the, yeah. the domino that got missed. Yes. Uh, Aslan's just like, this should have gone off. <clears throat> Gotta push you this way. Oh, you haven't? No, she's right there. No, just uh, go that way. Uh-huh. Yep. A little bit. Does seem a little bit like that. Um, did you find out about the Egyptian Yeah, I couldn't find anything. Maybe okay. I'm just making crap up again, which I do. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, so we learn about the prophecy of Kor and how he's the chosen one, and, you know, all the chosen one had to do was, like, live a life of hardship so that he can go and deliver a warning. Well, Lord Barr had apparently been giving information to the Tisrock. Mm-hmm. Um, and may he live forever. Um, yeah. And so getting information to Tashban. So the just the idea of this prophecy was kind of enough for Lord Barr to expose himself yeah. as this bezler and spy and mm-hmm. traitor mm-hmm. and so that that is to one extent just the fact that this prophecy was made he kind of saved Arkenland from that kind of nefarious yeah. uh political issue yeah but then also we have him literally run down across the desert to beat Rabadash to Arkenland to Maybe save all of Arkenland. Yeah. And so we also have this whole story being told and Erebus not figuring that out. She goes, I wonder what great danger you're supposed to be saving Arkenland oh, from. Wait. And Kor is just like, yeah, they all think I've already done it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, that's right. Arkenland can't possibly be in any more danger than from Rabidash and his 200 horse. Uh-huh. That's that's it. That's, Greatest threat in the world. That is. Uh, I mean, we got to take a minute to like just appreciate this step down in like the fulfillment of prophecy between *Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe* and and this book, where in *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, we're like, oh yeah, we have these prophecy where these four human kids are going to come from a different universe to <laughs> defeat the devil and like witness the resurrection of Aslan and be installed as the four kings and queens of Narnia. And usher Narnia into a new golden age. Yep. And this prophecy is like, hey, this prince is going to save your country. By running and that's yelling it. about that's something. The whole, that's yeah. the whole prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> and then they think he's lost forever. Uh-huh. Oh, no. The prophecy can't possibly be. He's alive! Yeah. So in the grand scheme of things, like, the Pevensies have, like, way more invested in this whole, uh, the Ark of Narnia story than... Uh, Kor does, but you know, in Arkenland, he's important. Um, and I, I always forget the the proper reading order. Are we supposed to read this one right after *Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*? No. Okay. No, no, no. Okay, because this is dumb. Um, <laughs> that going right from *The Lion, the Wardrobe*, *The uh, Lion and the Wardrobe*, forgetting the witch. Yep. To this is a weird leap. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like storytelling, and I'm not saying like. In and of itself, in a vacuum, this book isn't bad, but when you start comparing it to the previous book, chronologically, yeah, it, yeah. it gets weird. Um, um, yeah, no, no, no. In the, in, the, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia um, publishing order, we had um, 
the this book would have been this would have been book five of seven. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have come right before the magician's nephew. Okay. Before the last battle, so this is this was originally one of the last three like kind of wrap up books. Okay. Um, though I did want to we we also have this kind of little moment where uh, uh, Shas- uh Kor and Erebus have this. I suppose Aslan would say that was part of someone else's story. Said mm-hmm. Erebus. I was forgetting that. Said Kor. Yeah. So this kind of little moment between the two of them where they both... uh, They both accepted uh, Jesus into their hearts. They're both acknowledging (sighs) that they both know who Aslan is. Uh Uh-huh. It's that secret Christian handshake. Um, And so they go see the horses and, uh, and gosh, Bree still doesn't want to go. But before we get to the horses, we get an important offer for Erebus. Oh, yes. Uh Tell us more. Uh... Erebus gets all sad and it's just like, well, you're going to go live in Anvard and what am I going to do? And Kor's just like, oh yeah, there was something I was supposed to ask you. You want to come live in the castle with the king and me and like the royal family? There hasn't been a woman in the castle since my mother died. Yeah, we've been getting takeout for years. Like, (laughs) 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 Cobwebs are getting fierce. No, you need to stop right now. Um, you thought it was your birthday (laughs) um and so i love i love the way that erebus responds to this uh, when when he offers he's like you don't need to be afraid and she goes oh stop it said erebus or we'll have a real fight of Mm -hmm. course i'll come yeah so you know and he doesn't he doesn't acknowledge that she agreed he doesn't say cool awesome thank you i'm so happy he just goes well, let's go see the and let's go and see the horses. Yeah, and then she ultimately is going to get what she wants. Like, basically, she's going to become royalty again. Maybe. Yeah, like especially I mean, if she marries Corin the... later. Cor, or not Corin, Cor. One of them. What, if, marry she, what if she does marry Corin? I mean, he's a better choice. <laughs> um, but um, so we have um, Cor complaining about how he's going to have to be educated. I shall be learning reading and writing and heraldry and dancing and history yeah, and music while you, talking to Bree, while you'll be galloping and rolling on the hills of Narnia to your heart's content. Mm-hmm. But we... that's just the point, groaned Bree. Do talking horses roll? Suppose they don't. I can't bear to give it up. He's still on this <sighs> rolling thing. Well, he learns he doesn't have to get ridden unless it's war. Yes, that like, is that is also a thing where they bring out uh, Brie and Huynh and they expect that Erebus and uh, Kor will ride them back to, uh, because that's what they've been doing this whole time. Uh-huh. And no, in Narnia, a talking horse would never, I would, no Narnian would dream of mounting a talking horse. No, no Arkenlander would dream of mounting a talking horse except in times of war. Yeah, which is something that... I think it's kind of a plot hole because Brie would have known this. It's like it depends because Brie was kidnapped away as a foal. Yes, he but would he not have been ridden by anyone at that point. Yeah, because of his age, very much remembers Narnia and absorbed the culture and like knows what it's like there. He, uh, he didn't absorb it enough to know <sighs> that whether or not he needs to have a long tail and whether or not he can roll in the grass. Like 
there's there's a very different thing of approaching a culture you were born in and mm-hmm. coming back to it in as, as an adult and trying to reassume it mm-hmm. and growing up in a culture losing it and coming back like mm-hmm. because you at least experienced it into adulthood he never did yeah so like the childhood experience of a culture is very different from the adult experience of a culture Ooh, that's a that's a deep subject we could do a whole another podcast on another whole another whole um <laughs> And uh, Narnia in the North, gloomily, said Bree. Mm-hmm. And he heads off as if he's going to a funeral. Yep. Of his dead dreams. Yep. Uh, yeah, and uh, in my book, I don't know if you have it in yours, but I have this uh, very nice artwork of Bree rolling around in the grass. See, I had that artwork <laughs> as the main uh, chapter artwork, because I only get one artwork per chapter in my book. It's uh-huh. just the title page has an artwork. Yeah. And that is the uh, chapter artwork for this whole chapter. Uh-huh. See, this is like the Zen of Brie should be like the title of the chapter. is like, see, <laughs> the Brie realizes like all joy and happiness is transient and just like, he's like, screw it. I'm going to roll in the grass because why not? For maybe uh, <laughs> the last time. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I'm going to mourn it. Uh-huh. Well, that's not very zen, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's that's where the chapter is. A lot of a lot of stuff happens. Like, it, uh, I, I can't say it's a chapter where it feels like it was forced or it feels like, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't plotty enough because it very much was. Um, can I, I... Can I input something here? Yeah. This chapter mirrors a chapter in The Magician's Nephew and something that I talked about in The Magician's Nephew. Oh, does it? It does. Because we have Kor coming in and sharing his story with Erebus. Mm-hmm. With every detail of Aslan's involvement spelled out as well. Uh-huh. And Erebus shares nothing of her experience with Aslan. Mm-hmm. She doesn't share her story. That's in the correct. same way that Polly doesn't share her stories with Diggory. Hmm. I just thought it was a nice little mirror image. That is interesting. Of this idea that all of Diggory's story is out there in the open for Polly and the magician's nephew, where she meets him crying about all of the bad things going on in his life. But when she takes him to her little secret room up in the attic, she has stories there that she's written Mm -hmm. that he is not allowed to see and she never shares her story. Yeah. Her story's with him. Yeah. And we don't know anything about Polly's story. Hmm. Interesting. Do you think so, there's something else there? Do you think C.S. Lewis just thinks that women don't shouldn't share their stories with men and should be there exclusively for emotional support for men? Yeah, women learned a lot to preach, obviously, so. Um. <laughs> yep, they shouldn't share their stories. Nope. Nothing that Aslan did in Erebus's life would teach anyone anything. Not the at way all. that Aslan pushing Kor's boat would mean something to someone. Uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> if there's nothing else that you want to touch on in the story, I think it's about time that we work into our uh, rewrites. I believe it is. I think we covered pretty much everything. And anything I really want to get into, we'll do more on the wrap-up episode since we're doing another two of those. Yes. So we got time to discuss. Accurate. Um, anyway, let's go ahead. Kristen, uh... I don't know. If you want to go first again, I, I got to read two weeks worth since I am uh, trying to write a continuous story. I'm almost done with that. Yep. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> one of your main characters' name just disappeared from the book. Yeah, there's going to be a... <laughs> so one of my main characters' name changed. Um, it's not a plot hole. It just happened because 
That was the only way to make it work. But we only got one more chapter of this. And then next and book. And Shasta's I'm, not going to be in it. Next book, I am not doing this again. Because <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's been a pain. Yeah. All right. Um, so I'll go ahead and do my rewrite. As I read through the chapter, I pulled out of context five sentences and tried to create a new story with them. Uh-huh. Mine's a little sad. So do you need your tissues? or? I think I'm okay. Okay. You're going to make me cry on my birthday? Why don't you want to go? I think I feel a bit scared, said Cor. But he looked more like a horse going to a funeral than a long-lost captive returning to home and freedom. I wouldn't hurry things. Strange to say, they felt no inclination to talk to one another about him after he had gone. Jeez, Kristen. (laughs) What kind of mental space were you in today when you were writing that? (laughs) I mean, it's good. That's one of your better ones of this whole book, I think. But that's, uh, that's a dark one. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's a dark book with suicide and... Wow, well, let's mull on that for a little bit, shall we? Kidnapped <sighs> children and kidnapped horses and... Man. Woo. Okay. Um, and scene. All right. Mine is much, much happier. <laughs> yeah? Um, this, uh, this this one wasn't hard to do. Uh-huh. So go ahead mm. and start with last week's five so, sentences and then give us this week's, so... Last week's If are, I count correctly, based on my first grade class I was in today, uh-huh. uh, that would be 10 sentences. Correct. We can fill out a whole 10 frame. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know what that is. Last week's sentences are as follows. <clears throat> what came next surprised Shasta as much as anything that had happened ever happened to him in his life? By the main, my old master and Radden, said Bree. Poor, brave little fool. His sword was knocked his sword was knocked clean out of his hand pretty soon. Your talk hands down, Bree. And then we're jumping ahead in the story this week. We only got this week and next week to completely wrap up this whole thing neat with all the pretty bows on it. Yep. Um so we'll, we'll see what the next chapter holds. Uh, <laughs> uh but here is here's this one. She saw a mere boy. Then she looked up and saw what sort of person this prince was. There's something I've got to say at once. I think I feel a bit scared, said Cor. So, I do, answered Bree. Okay. Okay. So is Cor supposed to be Shasta or a new character? Yes, he's supposed to be Shasta. It's just, there's, I'm going to explain the whole storyline. And I think it's going to make more sense if next week for the, the ultimate chapter of the book, if I go ahead and read through the entire thing. Next so week. So I'm going to type up the entire thing and read it as the one continuous story and offer commentary. So next week's episode might run a little bit long, but I think that makes more sense doing it then than Thank reiterating you. things on a wrap-up episode. Okay. So look forward to that. Storyline's right. going to be finished. And uh, yeah. So that was our Narnia Chopped and Screwed, and let's go ahead and wrap this up in our wrap-up segment where we take the chapter, or I take the chapter, and I like to give it a rating based on uh, how good of a little chapter it was and if it did all of its homework today. That was weird. Um, um, <laughs> gosh, that was me trying to do a thing that it fell flat. Um, 
All right, Chris. So at this point, why don't you give your closing thoughts on the chapter and rate it out on a scale from one to five funeral horses? We're getting goth today, aren't we? (laughs) Um, I mean, you could also do it on a scale from one to five lion whiskers. That's much better. Okay. Um, (laughs) How about fat little ponies? Fat little pet ponies. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, So, yeah, this one almost had the opposite problem of a lot of the earlier chapters where I complain about nothing happening, and it's almost too much stuff that happens here, which is why it was hard to summarize, because, like, it had a lot of plot points. Yeah. And, like, if you just want to summarize the things that happened in order, you need, like, seven or eight sentences to do it. Um, because that's the measure of how a good chapter is written. If you can summarize it in five sentences, then it's good. <laughs> that's a good chapter. Uh, you know, this thing we get is completely made up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, a lot does happen here. And I feel like this is Lewis's issue with pacing coming to a head. Because there's so much stuff that he could have unfolded and could have, like, done narratively in those three or four chapters where nothing happened. But he didn't. And now he's got a lot of threads to tie up in this one in the last chapter, so he's got to, like, really quickly hit, like, all these points, and we don't get to spend any time on any of them. Yes, but this is also the common problem of children's chapter books. Yeah. Like, the the last two chapters are always way more dense than any of the other chapters. Like, that's yeah. how children's chapter books go. Yeah, and it's just, like, there's a lot of weighty things that happen here, but they don't feel weighty enough because we really quickly move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. It's like we have the whole Brie thing that, you know, he's dealing with his own self-image issues and he's Again, dealing with his, still. you know, his revelation about who his God is. And we have Erebus, like, not feeling like she has a place and then discovering that she has a home that she can go to and, like, Shasta stepping into his role as royalty after being a slave his entire life. And, like, all these characters have these climactic moments in their in their lives uh, that are just rapid fire. Yeah. And, like... So nothing really hits as hard as it's supposed to. Uh, that being said, I feel like we have a l- lot of really good character work done in this for everyone except for Gwen, who is just worried about getting fat. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of her whole thing. And then she gets a lion kiss. That's cool. Um, <laughs> and then she's not really a character. But Brie Erevis and, and Shasta slash Corp, all really well done. I think we've tied up a lot of ends here, and I, I'm curious as to where we're going to go in the last chapter because there's not a lot more that needs to be said here. Uh, something about Rabidash, we're going to find out what happens to him because he's the titular character. Spoilers. Um, but yeah, uh, as far as the penultimate chapter goes, it's pretty good. Um, just the issues with pacing, uh, so I would give it. Ah, 3.75. 3.75. So let's give it three fat little ponies and one average pony. <laughs> Just yeah. slightly, slightly yeah. less than Tubby. Yeah, slightly less than Tubby. <laughs> it's a husky pony. Okay. I'm sure. A husky pony. Yeah. All what right. do you got? Um, I, I, you know... I agree with sentence four from my rewrite. I wouldn't hurry things. <laughs> this this chapter really does hit on a lot of different things, and it really does. But it also kind of reiterates things. 
Mm-hmm. We already know where Huynh is at. Huynh is depressed and sad and not a wiser horse. And Mabry. Yeah. Huynh is uh, <laughs> encountering like that she's stronger than she knew. Uh-huh. Um, and also taking on responsibility, challenging Brie, at, like face-to-face standing up to Brie, which mm. is... Um, kind of started developing at the at the stream, but she didn't actually do it yeah. f- until here. So this is like the rounding out of Quinn's um, character changes and arc. Uh-huh. Um, so I feel like there is actually a distinct change in Quinn. Okay. Um, Bree is the same. Bree is Bree <sighs> is where he was when he was rolling in the grass with Shasta freaking out before they'd even met Erebus. Yeah. Um, Erebus is where she was at. When she fell off, when she got uh, to the hermit, yeah. she kind of had this conversation with Huynh and Bree about Shasta, and she's just kind of getting the wrap up of what her journey will be, what her story is. Yeah. Um. But like her development's done. Yeah. This is just reiterating it. Yeah. Um. And then we have Shasta Kor, the hero who didn't know he was a hero, and the boy who was braver than he knew, and. The poor fishing kid who's now got to be educated in heraldry and dancing. Um, Education. Ew. Which is, <laughs> once again, an echo from our, our Pevensey kids coming into Narnia and, like, getting rid of education. Which is a whole and, other thing What I, I wanted to talk in, about, but we didn't get, get the time to. But we're going to bring up, putting it here for posterity, we're going yeah. to bring up in our wrap-up episode is this way that lewis presents education in the books when he himself is an educator mm-hmm. like he is a teacher and like the the fact that he like poo-poos education so much in the books is really interesting so we're going to talk about that yeah uh and we're also going to get more a lot more into the depth of characters but real quick uh would you say that you know we don't know what happens in the last chapter obviously but throughout the course of the rest of the book would you say brie is a static character uh, I think that we will have that revealed in the next chapter because we've talked, we've shown all of Bree's faults and shortcomings. Uh-huh. And in the next chapter, if Bree finds out that Narnian horses don't roll and he rolls anyway, uh-huh. then I think that he has accomplished growth. Uh-huh. But if he finds out that Narnian horses do roll and it's just he's relieved by that, uh-huh. and he's like, thank goodness I didn't have to give that up. Yeah then I think that we show once again that he hasn't had the opportunity to grow in the way that we want him to as a character. Yeah. So I don't know. Huh. Uh, that's my thoughts on Brie. Anyway, um, any other thoughts? I think we covered it. I'm excited to finish this book out next week. Me too. <laughs> uh, next week we will be reading chapter 15 of The Horse and His Boy, Rabidash the Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, if you are interested in sending us your own rewrites or summaries, you can, uh, hit us up at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of, I don't know, Shasta's cast on his bruised knuckles, um, <laughs> at uh, chroniclypodcast at gmail.com. Uh-huh. Uh, you can also give us money at patreon.com and get absolutely nothing in return for that at this point. Oh, but we got something coming. Boy, apparently we have something coming. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, do not poison your maid. You know the consequences of that now. You do. And uh, 
be sure to grease those oats. Thanks. Bye. Where we don't ever we we don't ever hear it. We don't ever hear this conversation that uh so we'll we'll put a bookmark on that and, and come back to it later. You know, very literal bookmark. <laughs> I guess they're books. Um, <laughs> I've I've already worked today. You know, this is why we always record before I go into work. Completely terrified. <laughs> yeah. Help. It's a good good reimpression. <laughs> Going right from the lion in the wardrobe, the uh, lion in the wardrobe, forgetting the witch. Yep. Paper rattling noises. Found my notes. Welcome back. Give it a rating based on uh, how good of a little chapter it was and if it did all of its homework today. That was weird. Um, um, <laughs> gosh. Uh, I'm here with my co-host. You're supposed to introduce yourself first. Okay. When you do the intro. Okay, I don't actually have a thing that I just remembered, so I was trying to stall for time. Okay. 